Good morning, everyone. We want to welcome you to our services here at Grace Church at Franklin in Franklin, Tennessee, here on Arno Road. We're speaking also to those of you who may be watching by the Internet on YouTube, Ustream, or Sermon Audio Video. We welcome you here today in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and on behalf of the congregation here at Grace Church. And let's begin now with some praises to the Lord. Brother Joshua Waltz is going to lead us. Good morning, Grace Church. Wonderful grace of Jesus, number 206 in your hymnal. If you would all stand up with me. Good to see everyone this morning. Wonderful grace of Jesus, greater than all my sin. Like a fountain, all 
all-sufficient grace for even me, broader than the scope of my transgressions, greater far than all my sin and shame. Oh, magnify the precious name of Jesus, praise His name. Amen. That's right. Give the Lord praise. You all can be seated for a little while. We'll have some announcements and we'll do some more singing. Good morning. I'd like to welcome you all to the services of Grace Church at Franklin today and say a special welcome to any first-time visitors that we have here. And if you did not get an opportunity to sign the register located in the foyer, we ask that you would do so as you depart just so that we might have a record of your attendance. <clears throat> We want to mention a few prayer requests now and ask that as the Lord calls them to your mind this week that you would lift them up. Uh, we want to give praise that Judy LePetri is here today and doing well. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> want to continue to remember uh, her and her husband before the Lord. And I talked to Carl and Ruby Perry this morning. They are both doing well and both say hello to the congregation. Uh, Carl specifically said he will be back, so we look forward to that. We miss both of them, and they certainly miss us. Uh, Ruby had a lot of heart tests done recently, and she's going to have those results coming back this Tuesday, so let's pray for that. We certainly want to continue to remember our pastor who's having some back pain, and Miss Lynn over here who's still having some put, foot pain. Uh, lift them up before the Lord. Uh, Pat Jackson, we want to continue to remember her for her pain. She's also uh, going to have uh, healing from her recent shoulder surgery on her right side, and she's going to have her left rotator cuff surgery possibly in July. I want to continue to remember George Bishop, little change uh, from his pain that he suffered long after uh, getting over the shingles virus. Let's continue to remember him, and he also has a follow-up biopsy for his cancer in June. Uh, Evelyn Carrico is not experiencing really any relief from the shots that she had in her knees. Let's continue to remember her that the Lord might deliver her from that. Uh, Michelle George is going to have some follow-up labs again uh, in uh, May, I believe it is, uh, after some recent test results uh, showed that her cancer was trending in the wrong direction. So let's pray about that. And she may also have to have a repeat PET scan if the numbers uh, don't uh, turn out better in May. We also want to continue to remember the Gall family and especially for their son, Austin. We want to remember Ken Humphrey's father-in-law who is in a a rehab facility there in Atlanta. I want to continue to remember Betty Hetcock's uh, son with his eye problems and her granddaughter uh, who is healing from broken bones. Um, and we mentioned uh, last week that uh, for those who weren't here, that beginning May 2nd, the first Sunday in May, we're going to resume our fellowship dinners. And so we encourage you to take part of that. The way that works is you basically, if you want to participate, you bring a dish enough to feed your family and to feed a couple of more. And usually we have more than enough for everyone. Uh, that happens immediately after worship service. So if you come in during the morning to bring your food, and if, if uh, Sunday school has already started, we'll have a table out in the, in the hallway that you can set your food on. And uh, after Sunday school is over so that we don't disrupt them, we'll move it into either one of the warmers or the refrigerator or plug the crock pot in. So you have multiple ways that you can bring your food in. <laughs> and I say that many of you are saying, well, we don't have Sunday school right now. That's because we're going to resume adult Sunday school also the first uh, Sunday in May. So on May 2nd, we resume adult Sunday school. And we encourage all of you adults to join us for that. It will start at 10 a.m. <clears throat> It will start at 10 a.m. and it will run to 10.30 a.m. 
and then there will be a 15-minute break for you to use the restroom, for you to fellowship one with another before we gather back in here for worship at 1045, which is our normal time. As mentioned also, for those of you ladies who usually help out in the fellowship dinner, Ms. Linda Foster has placed the sign-up sheet from last year out on the foyer in the round table. If you would take a look and if you're still able to, to serve on the dates that you signed up for last year, for those same dates this year, then that's fine. If you need to change that, uh, please look for an alternative who can substitute on your behalf. And if you can't find anybody, certainly simply just mark your name off the list so others can sign up. And we certainly appreciate you in advance for your work in this ministry of serving in that capacity. Uh, we are not able to resume Sunday school classes for children right now, but we are making plans to do that very soon. And uh, there will be more information that will come out uh, certainly through the email system. And I will announce that again, hopefully next Sunday of what our plans are moving forward for Sunday school for children. All right. Uh, as a reminder, we're not passing the offering plate right now, but if you want to support this ministry financially, you can do so by leaving your gift or your offering in the box that's also located on the round table in the foyer. Is there any other prayer requests that I'm not aware of that you'd like mentioned, Pastor? Yes, sir. Okay. Okay, so for those of you who weren't able to hear that, our pastor has placed a sign-up sheet on the table. Also, if you're interested in participating in teaching our young people, uh, usually what we do is teach on a rotating basis so that uh, adults can also be in here during worship and not have to only be uh, spending time teaching the children. So if you'd like to participate in that ministry, pray about it and, uh, and sign up on the, on the list in the, in the foyer. All right. Thank you all. Josh? Well, welcome again to everybody. If you're just now joining us um, on over the internet, we want to say welcome to you. Thankful you're here this morning to worship with us. Uh, if you would all, let's see, if you could stand again, let's stand number 295. 295 is He Leadeth Me.
Merciful. Let's sing that next. <clears throat> For anybody that doesn't know this, this is a little chorus that we sing here from time to time. You can catch the hang of it pretty quick. Wonderful little song. It's okay, I'll kick it off for you, Miss Sue. When I was lost in sin and shame, and you let me take the blame, blessed Lord, how merciful.
sing that chorus one more time without the instruments. Just the voices. Oh, how merciful, how merciful, blessed Lord, how merciful you are to me. Oh, how merciful, how merciful, blessed Lord, how merciful you are to me. And that one you can sing every day, all day, driving around in the car, walking around in the store. Oh, blessed Lord, how merciful you are to me. Amen. Let the Lord's people say amen. Amen. Y'all can be seated. I think. I'm sorry. You might have to stand back up in a second, but that's okay, right? <laughs> Good to see all of you today. I'm going to teach you today about the, the sovereign mercy of God. So I hope you'll be listening carefully and praying about that. Our entire foundation for salvation is nothing about us. It's all about Him. He's the author, the sustainer, and the finisher of our faith. That's what the Scripture says. But a lot of times we don't consider the implications of that. We don't consider what that really, really means. And so in these last few studies, I've been trying to expose you to some of those foundational principles and truths regarding that. What we're going to do now is we're going to sing what I call an ancient hymn. The ancient hymn of the day is to the tune of On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand. Most all of you know that hymn. But the lyrics will be up on the board up there. We get them up there. I said the lyrics will be up on the board. <laughs> all right, there we go. Everybody know it. Ready? Sweet is the work, my God, my King. sing to show thy love thy morning light and talk of all thy faith at night on Christ the solid rock I stand all other ground is sinking sand all other ground is sinking sand my heart shall triumph in the Lord Bless his works and bless his word. Thy works of grace, how bright they shine. How deep thy counsel, how divine. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Oh, how I long that blessed place where he unveils his glorious face where all his beauties will behold and sing his praise to arms of gold oh Christ my Lord my God my King I owe to thee my everything I owe to thee my shall share a glorious part when grace has well refined my heart and fresh 
Guess who wrote that hymn? Have any of you ever heard of Isaac Watts? Isaac Watts. You know some other hymns that we sing that he wrote that. He wrote that. I added the chorus in it, but all of the lyrics, he wrote them. Okay, Lynn. Have you ever had a week where nothing is right? None of y'all are like that, are you? No. Uh, I was thinking this morning, coming to worship, that uh, I'm so thankful we can come hear the Word of God. Because every time you try to do something on your own, you, are, <laughs> you just fail. I've just had a failed week this week, you know, wanting to do things right. But I'm so thankful for the blood of Christ on us, aren't you? Have you ever thought of that, that the blood of Christ covers some of your sin? How much? Y'all know, you're taught all your sin. The blood of Christ covers all our sin. And so when you come to this house to worship, you know it's a rich privilege to hear the word of God rightly divided. A man came in last week and wanted to know, did we really teach the sovereignty of God and brother Joe told him yes we do he said the real sovereignty of God he said I'll be back okay so I just want y'all to sing with me this morning <clears throat> we've come into this house and gathered in his name for one purpose to worship him and praise him for covering our, all our sins we have come into this house and gathered in his name to worship him. We have come into this house and gathered in his name to worship him. We have come into this house and gathered in his name to worship Christ the Lord. Worship Him, the Lord. So forget about yourself and concentrate on Him and worship Him. So forget about yourself and concentrate on Him and worship Him. Just forget about yourself and concentrate on Him and worship Christ the Lord. Worship Him, Christ the Lord. He is all my righteousness. I stand complete in Him and worship Him. He is 
all my righteousness. I stand complete in Him and worship Him. He is all my righteousness. I stand complete in Him and worship Christ the Lord. Worship Him, Christ the Lord. Would you stand together with me, please, as we appeal to the Lord for His blessings, both to myself as I try to open His Word, and to you, to give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to understand, to the glory of our great God, in whose name we are gathered together today. Father, I stretch my hands to Thee, no other help I Remain standing for just a moment, and if you have a Bible, and if you want to open it to Isaiah chapter 1, our foundational text, of course, is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, where Paul addresses the Thessalonians regarding their great salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And where he says in verse 4, Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. Now this is our 11th study. Uh, we've covered actually the entire chapter of uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And I'm now using some other text to support us. So today I'm going to be asking you to go back to Isaiah chapter 1. That was the last passage that we looked at last Sunday, Isaiah chapter 1. And under the general theme of reasons for Christians to rejoice, the subtitle of today's study is Sovereign Mercy. Sovereign Mercy. This is kind of a part two of last week's theme, The Secret Behind Election. That's what we considered in our last study. The Secret Behind Election today is kind of a part two, which I've entitled Sovereign Mercy. And this secret is adequately revealed in the statement of Isaiah the prophet to Israel regarding Jerusalem. This is what he says, beginning in verse 3, Isaiah chapter 1, 
the ox knows his owner, the ass, the donkey, the mule, he knows his master's crib, but Israel does not know, my people does not consider. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord, they have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger, they're gone back always. Why should you be stricken anymore? The Lord's been chastening them. He's been striking them in various ways. You will only revolt more and more. When the Lord deals with us in chastisement way, unless we're renewed by grace, it'll only serve to harden us. You will revolt more and more. Your whole head is sick. Your whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot unto the head, there's no soundness in it. Wounds, bruises, putrefying sores, they have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. What an awful description. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word, and let God's people say, praise the Lord. Now I say this morning and beginning this study, as I said in the end of last study, if Israel, to whom all of the prophets were sent, to whom the law was given, all of these blessings upon Israel, if they're in that shape, what kind of shape are the Gentiles in, the pagans, the nations of the world? What he's saying here is, unless God had had mercy upon us, no one would have been saved. Let me show you that. If you look down to verse 9, if you still happen to be in Isaiah chapter 1, in verse 9, except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant, we should have been as Sodom and we should have been likened to Gomorrah. Now, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you bring your Bibles. If you don't bring them, there's usually a Bible in front of you. And if you're not familiar with the books of the Bible, you can always look at the front of the Bible and get the table of contents. And I'd like you to look in the book of Genesis now. The book of Genesis, chapters 18 and 19. He tells Israel in verse 9 of Isaiah 1, that unless the Lord had reserved for himself a number, no one would have been saved. Unless the Lord had mercy upon a number, a number that he elected, no one would be saved. Everyone in Jerusalem would have been burned up like the citizens of Sodom and Gomorrah. To use a gospel analogy, Unless the Lord had spared sinners through our Lord Jesus Christ, heaven would be empty. All the citizens of Sodom and Gomorrah were absolutely destroyed, wiped out with God's fire from heaven, and only Lot and his daughters were delivered. And even Lot's wife was not spared. And this is all in Genesis chapter uh, 18 and 19. You may remember in chapter 18 of Genesis that the Lord on the way to Sodom and Gomorrah 
paid the patriarch Abraham a visit. And when he revealed to Abraham that he was going to destroy the two cities, Abraham made his famous intercessory arguments to the Lord. And it's recorded in Genesis chapter 18. If you'll notice verse 23. Abraham drew near and he said, Will you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you destroy and not spare the place for the 50 righteous that are there? That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked. That be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And the Lord said, If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Is God merciful? It says He is. And then uh, Abraham argues all the way down from 50 to 10. What if they're 45? What if they're 40? What if they're 30? Finally, in verse 32, in verse 32, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak one more time. Perhaps ten righteous should be found there. And the Lord said, I will not destroy it if I can find ten righteous people there. I will not destroy it for the sake of ten people. Who was spared from the Lord's punishment upon Sodom and Gomorrah? Lot, who was the nephew of Abraham, and his two daughters. Well, how were they saved? They were saved by sovereign mercy. Let's look at a couple of the details. Chapter 19. The Lord sent, in verse 1, the Lord sent two heavenly messages to deliver them. Now, If God's going to deliver a sinner from the coming judgment, if he's going to deliver a sinner from the power of sin, from the presence of sin, from the penalty of sin, he's going to send that person a messenger. He's going to cross your path with the truth. He's going to cross your path with the gospel. You go back later and read 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and that's what Paul says. Paul says, Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God, for our gospel came to you. And it came to you not just in power, not just in word only, rather, but in power and in the Holy Spirit. Everyone that the Lord is going to save, He crosses their path with the truth, and He works in them a work that they will receive it. Now, He sent these two messengers to Sodom and Gomorrah, and these two messengers were sent by the Lord. They were the ones who saved a lot from the perverted citizens of the city. Notice, they came into the city... And Lot rose up to meet them. In verse 1, he bowed his face to the ground. And he said, come into my house. Verse 2. He said, don't stay out here in the streets. It's dangerous out here in the streets. It's getting dangerous here in the United States to be out in the streets. 
streets that you could used, you used to could walk and meet with your neighbors or whatever, now it's becoming dangerous, especially in the cities. And he said, don't stay out here in the streets. And they said, no, the last part of verse 2, no, we are going to abide in the street all night. And it said he pressed them greatly, verse 3. And they said, okay, okay, we'll come into your home. And he made them a feast, and he baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down that night, verse 4, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, surrounded the house, old men and young men, and people from every quarter. And they called out to Lot, verse 5. And they said, where are the men that came in to you this night? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Now, the meaning of this word know is qualified. You don't have to know Hebrew and Greek. The meaning of to know is qualified in verse 8. In verse 8, Lot says, now, brethren, don't be so wicked. In verse 7, don't be so wicked. Look, I've got two daughters, two virgin daughters, two daughters that have not known men. They have not known men. What does that mean? Does that mean Lot kept them in a pen all their lives? It has never known any man? No, it means this is the word yada, which means to know carnally or to know sexually. It's the same word used in verse 5, bring them out that we may know them, as in verse 8, I'll bring my daughters out that you may know them. It has reference to sexual knowledge, as in Mary, the mother of Jesus, had not known a man. And so the Lord's messengers, these people began to beat upon the door and said, No, we want to see these two men and the Lord's messengers, verses 9 and 10, drew Lot away from that crowd and bolted the door. Notice verse 10, the men, now these are two angels, but they're in the form of men. They put forth their hand and they pulled Lot into the house and they shut the door. That is, they bolted the door. And then in verse 11, they smote the mob with blindness. It was a type of blindness that they could see, but they couldn't find the door. What kind of blindness does a lost person have? They have the blindness where they can't find the door. Who's the door? Jesus Christ said in John chapter 10, I am the door. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and he shall go in and out and find pasture. I'm the door. The sheep enter in by the door. And they were smitten, and they couldn't find the door. And they wearied themselves to find it, it says in verse 12. And then these two messengers from God said, Look, do you have anybody else in your family that you want to be spared because God is going to bring a terrible judgment on this place. We're going to destroy this place, verse 13, because the cry of it has gone up to the face of the Lord in heaven, and he has sent us to destroy it. And so Lot went out, 
And he thought about his two sons-in-law who were married to his two daughters. And he went out and he said, look, the Lord's going to destroy this place. <laughs> and you know what they did? They laughed at him, verse 14. Are you crazy? Hey, don't you know archaeology and science has proven that the earth is millions of years old? Don't you know that things are going to continue as they were since the fathers fell asleep? People keep saying, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, and he ain't here yet. <laughs> He's not coming. That's all a bunch of mythology. That's, that's a bunch of superstitious garb. That's nothing. That's the same way it seems today in the world. For those people who are Christians who believe in the coming of the Lord, and remember, that was one of the things that characterized the elect, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, go back and read it, the very last verse he says, you're waiting for the coming of the Lord. That's one of the signs that you really truly believe. You're waiting for the Lord in whom you've trusted to come. And uh, so these sons-in-laws just laughed him to scorn and uh, made ridiculed of him and said he seemed as one that was scoffing, that was making fun of them. And then what happened? Well, they said, get out of this city. And they said, when you get out, don't look back. It says in verse 15, when the morning came, the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take your wife, your two daughters, once you're here, lest you be consumed in the iniquity of the city. Notice how foolish Lot was, verse 16. While he lingered, he's indecisive. Now, I'm not picking on ladies this morning. <laughs> I tell you, I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for my wife. I thank the Lord for my wife. And I know you do, all of you do too. But let me tell you something. It's probably his wife who was saying, Now, Lot, look, you know, don't you think we ought to think about this? Let's, 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 let's be reasonable here. Let's think about it. Let's talk about it. Now, look, I mean, at least we, we've got 12 hours. You know, we've got 24 hours. We can talk about it today and do it tomorrow. After all those judgments came on the nation of Egypt, <laughs> when Moses finally had an audience with Pharaoh, and Pharaoh said, Take away these judgments. Take away these judgments, and I'll let the people go. And, Pharaoh, uh, and Moses said, Well, when shall I ask the Lord to take them away? And you know what Pharaoh said? He said, tomorrow. <laughs> he said, tomorrow. Brother, this guy is lingering. He's playing around here. And while he lingered, watch what's happened now. These two messengers from God laid hold upon him. And notice what it says in the middle of the verse. Let me read this. This is the King James Version. You may have a different translation, but it will say the same thing, essentially. Verse 16, while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand, and upon the hand of his wife, and upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto him. He was saved by sovereign mercy. And they brought him forth, and they set him without the city. And it came to pass... When they had brought them forth, they said in verse 17, Escape for your life, and don't look behind you. Don't look back. Don't stay in the plain. Escape to the mountain, lest you be consumed. 
And what happened? They got out of the city, and Lot's wife looked back. Why? Because she was out of the city, but her heart was still back in the city. She never left. There are a lot of people who professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and they've never left. They say they believe, but they've never left. They keep looking back. Let me tell you, if you're in Christ, all the bridges are burned. And that's not just so the enemy can't get to you, it's so we can't go back. Do you not hear the words of the songwriter, prone, O Lord, prone to leave the God I love? Prone to leave the God I love. I think it was Isaac Watts that wrote that. Here's my heart, O take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. We are prone, all of our lives, we are prone to leave the God we love. We have all of these things that are alluring to us. And so it says in verse 16 that Lot was saved by the sovereign mercy of the Lord. The Lord sent two messengers. The messengers kept these uh, people and the citizens of the city from getting to them. They led them out of the city They preserved them from beginning to end. It was the sovereign mercy of the Lord that spared Lot and his two daughters. Now, some would say, well, Lot was a righteous man. Well, compared to the the citizens of Sodom and Gomorrah, he may have been seen as righteous. But I'll tell you how I know he wasn't righteous. He had no righteousness to deliver himself as he later revealed because after he escaped the wrath of the Lord by the skin of his teeth, He became drunken, and he committed incest with his two daughters. And uh, the Bible tells us that Lot and his two daughters were spared because of the merciful hand of the Lord, the Lord being merciful unto him. Now, in the same way, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, since the sin of Adam and Eve, there have been no righteous persons on the earth. Only sinners deserving of punishment. Don't we hear David and Paul? David made an original statement in Psalm 14 regarding righteousness and righteous persons on earth, and Paul quoted it in Romans 3. Let me just tell you what David said. David said in Psalm 14, verses 2 and 3, the Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone out of the aside. He came to this conclusion. They've all gone aside. They've all together become filthy. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. And then Paul, quoting David, and enlarging upon the comment, said this in Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 10, as it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understand, none that seek after God. So if a man seeks after God, a woman seeks after God, if a person seeks after God, it's because they understand, and if they understand, it's because the Lord has been being merciful to them. They've all gone out of the way. They all together have become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they've used deceit. The poison of asp, poisonous snakes, is under their lips. 
Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. The way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's Paul's comment in Romans 3, beginning in verse 10, on David's original statement in Psalm 14. So how many righteous people were in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah? Not one. Not one righteous. Would you spare the city if it's just ten? Yeah, I'll spare the city if it's ten. There wasn't one righteous person in the city. Not one. How then were Lot and his daughters saved? I've already told you. It was by the sovereign grace and the electing mercy of God. How many righteous people have lived upon the earth with the exception of God's Son? Not one. How then can anyone see the peace of the face of God in peace? Only by the sovereign grace of God. The sovereign grace and electing mercy of God. The great secret behind often the much maligned and hated doctrine of election is the infinitely great and sovereign choice and will of God to be merciful. <laughs> to be merciful. Now let me say a word to you about the freeness of mercy. The freeness of mercy. If you want to turn to the New Testament, book of Titus. All of the books that begin with T's are grouped together in the New Testament. That helps you. Thessalonians, Timothy, and Titus. So we come to Titus chapter 3. And let's think for a moment about the freeness of God's mercy. Now I want you to get this in your mind. I want you to think about it. It may be a kind of a hard statement, but I think it's true. I think it's biblical. The Lord of Scripture doesn't owe anyone mercy. I want you to remember that one. Now, I hope to enlarge on that in our next study next Sunday, God willing, I live in your presence. The Lord of the Scripture doesn't owe mercy to anyone. He would still be just and he would still be righteous if he saved no one. We need to learn something about sovereign mercy the sovereign mercy of our God, because mercy is the reason for God saving anyone. It's the reason behind election. And as Paul said to Brother Titus in Titus chapter 3, and in verse 3, we ourselves were sometimes foolish and disobedient and deceived and serving all kinds of lust and pleasures and living in malice and envy and hateful and hating one another. But what happened, Paul? What happened? Well, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared. Verse 4. That's what happened. And what was behind this kindness uh, and love of God, our Savior? What's behind that? Well, certainly, he says in verse 5, it was not by works of righteousness what we have done. And by the way now, 
The works of righteousness here is a good sort of work of righteousness. In other words, doing the right thing. Doing the right thing. It wasn't because we were trying to do the right thing that this appeared. This is not just trying to save yourselves by your own works, but this is when you do the right thing. He says, it was not by works of righteousness, which we have done, watch it now, but according to his what? According to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Lord, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. He said it's by his mercy. Paul reminds us that the mercy of God is a result of the kindness and love of God our Savior in verse 4. What does this mean but that mercy is undeserved, it's unsolicited, and it is expressed toward us in kindness, love, pity, and forgiveness. So according to his mercy, he saved us. Well, what kind of mercy is the mercy of God? Well, all of you know this, but I'm going to read it for you. I'm reading. You don't have to turn. You can write it down and read it for yourself later. In Romans chapter 9, verses 15, 16, and 18, it says this. He said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that wills, nor of him that runs. It's not the will of man. It's not the works of man. But of God that shows mercy. Then in verse 18 he says, Therefore he has mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardens. All the Lord has to do for us to be hardened, we read it a moment ago from Isaiah chapter 1, is leave us alone. All He has to do is leave us alone. We become harder and harder and harder as we go along in life. Certainly the God of the Bible is a merciful God. He said, I am merciful, I will not keep my anger forever. Jeremiah 3 and verse 12. Again, he said to Moses that he shows mercy unto thousands of those who love him, Exodus chapter 20. And the Lord is more merciful than man. On one occasion, you can read about this in 2 Samuel 24, on one occasion when David sinned, the Lord offered him three choices. I'm going to read it to you. Shall seven years of famine come unto you? Or will you flee three months before your enemies with them pursuing you? Or shall there be three days of pestilence in the land? That's in 2 Samuel chapter 24. Which of those punishments did David choose? Let's see now, he said. Will, will there come seven years of famine in the land? Or will you flee, run, try to hide for three months from your enemies while they're pursuing you? Or will there be three days of pestilence in the land? Well, we've had a year of pestilence. We've had the coronavirus going on now a year. Pestilences are quite often mentioned in the New Testament. In fact, our Lord Jesus Christ said the last days 
will be characterized by an increase of pestilences. Which of the punishments did David choose? Well, he chose none of them. <laughs> Let me quote what David said. He said in verse 14 of 2 Samuel chapter 24, Let us now fall into the hand of the Lord, listen now, for his mercies are great, and let me not fall into the hand of men. His mercies are great. <laughs> He's a God of mercy, great mercy. I'd rather fall into his hands and trust him than fall into the hands of men, said David. David knew very well by experience, as does every child of God, that the Lord is merciful. Let me tell you some things, some biblical facts about the mercy of the Lord. First, mercy is God's title. It's God's title. He is the God of mercy, in distinction from all the other gods. Did you know that the God of Islam, they always talk about Allah, the merciful, but Allah hasn't provided a savior. Allah hasn't provided a substitute. Allah has not sent his son. Allah does not send his spirit to deal with the hearts of men. You know, Muhammad Ali, he was born Cassius Clay. He was heavyweight champion of the world three times. You remember him? After he was converted to Islam, he used to carry a box of matches in his pocket. I heard him say this. So I'm not talking about what, what I've heard by his say. I heard him say, he carried a box of matches. And he said, why? Why? Somebody said, why do you do that? Ali, he said, because when I'm tempted, I strike a match and hold it under my hand to remind me of what's going to happen to me if God of Allah does not spare me. Oh, my friends, Mercy is God's title. The Lord said through Moses to Israel, I am the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. I keep mercy for thousands. I forgive iniquity and transgression and sin. Secondly, mercy is God's mark of identification, the mark that distinguishes him from all other gods. The Lord thy God is a merciful God, Deuteronomy 4.31. Thirdly, mercy is God's promise. When we pray, we must need, we must learn to present to God his own promises. David did in Psalm 119, verse 58. He said, I entreated thy favor with my whole heart. Be merciful unto me according unto thy word. When you pray, say, Lord, you promised mercy to those who call upon you. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Number four, mercy is offered always, I want to underscore this, mercy is offered always to sinners who come to God for it. Nehemiah said of the Lord, Thou art a God ready to pardon, 
gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness. Read about it. It's in Nehemiah chapter 9. need to read some of those minor prophets because when you get to heaven, some of them are going to say, hey, did you read my book? <laughs> what book was that? Well, that was uh, Nehemiah or Malachi or Hezekiah or some of those so-called minor prophets. Number four, mercy. Number five, rather, mercy is the capstone of all the works of God. David said in Psalm 145, verse 9, The Lord is good to all. His tender mercies are over all His works. Now, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 9, and we're going to stop right here. Matthew's Gospel. Matthew's Gospel in the New Testament, chapter 9. Now, I could just uh, stand here each week and speak to you and quote these passages, most of them, but I want you to see these things in your own Bible. And it's all right, like I say, if you're not familiar with the Bible, just get one of those pew Bibles and look in the table of contents and find where the book is. This is the Gospel of Matthew. There are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And this is the ninth chapter of Matthew. Now, I plan in our next study to present for your consideration the essential elements of mercy. That is, what is necessary for mercy to be mercy? You know, I read a story once about Napoleon who was going to hang a man because of something he did in the army of Napoleon. And uh, the story says that just as he, he went up to the scaffold, that a woman ran up the steps and ran to him and fell down on her knees and put her arms around his legs, and it was the boy's mother. And she begged at Napoleon, Oh, sir, have mercy, have mercy upon my son. Have mercy, he's my only son. And Napoleon said, But he doesn't deserve mercy. And she said, sir, if he deserved it, it wouldn't be mercy. If he deserved it, it wouldn't be mercy. (laughs) If you deserve mercy, you ain't going to get it, my friend. And I'm not going to get it either. It's not something we deserve. And that's what I'm going to talk to you about next Sunday. God willing, the essential elements of mercy. What's necessary for mercy to be mercy? I hope you're present for that study. Today, I'm going to draw this message to a close using a familiar passage in Matthew chapter 9. Now, we know that our Lord Jesus Christ did not have a scowl on His face. We know that He didn't look like a mean man. We know that there must have been a a gleam in His eye. There must have been a pleasant look on His face, except when He dealt with self-righteous people. And I'll tell you how I know that. I know that because people were drawn to him who were sinners. Not only that, but children were drawn to him. Children are not going to be drawn to somebody that looks like a bear. They look like a monster. They look like, I don't have time for you. Don't say anything to me. Don't bother me. 
That's what the apostles did a lot of times. They tried to run these mothers off who brought their children and their infants to Christ that he might touch them. And Jesus rebuked them and said, No, for, do not forbid the little children. Suffer the little children to come unto me. This is why we're looking for some teachers to teach our children on Sunday morning. The classes will be from 10 to 10.30, and you don't have to have an in-depth knowledge of the Bible. We just want to teach these children about the characters in the Bible. They need to know who Adam and Eve are. They need to know uh, who uh, the apostles are. They need to know who the prophets are. We just tell them a little bit about those things, and as they grow up under God's Word, then the Lord will begin to teach them the significance of these things. So if you're interested, we'd appreciate you helping. If we have enough people, we can rotate, and you won't be there every Sunday from 10 to 10.30, only a 30-minute class. The Lord Jesus Christ, sinners were drawn to him. Look in Matthew chapter 9, look at verse 10. It came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. Many sinners, people that other folks wouldn't have anything to do with, they came and sat down with the Lord Jesus Christ, the spotless Son of God, and his disciples. Sinners were drawn to Jesus. Why? Because sinners must have mercy or they die. They have no bargaining chips with which to make a deal. They have no worth with which to recommend themselves. They have no hope but mercy. And this sort of Savior is troubling to the self-righteous. Look at verse 11. When the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why in the world does your master Eat with publicans and sinners. Doesn't he know that if you're going to be a success in this world, if you're going to have uh, big uh, conferences and convention centers and have thousands come and hear you teach and preach, doesn't he know he can't have these kind of people around him? you got to have Mr. So-and-so and Professor Tinkling Symbol. You've got to have people who know folks, who have power, who have money. You've got to have those kind of people. You can't have these sinners. And even today, we want the religion of Jesus Christ to be a respectable one, don't we? Respectable, in quotes. Nice, church-going society folks don't want to associate with sinners. But Jesus always hears what we say, and he knows what we think. Verse 12. Verse 12. When Jesus heard that, he heard it. He knew what they were saying. He said, they that are whole, that is, they who are not ill, who are not sick, who are healthy, do not need a physician, do not need a doctor, but they who are sick. He says, only the sick need a doctor. I know how I am, and I know how you are. You're not going to a doctor until you're about half dead. Then when you go, you say, look, I, I, I need something. I want you to make me well. 
And now physicians are getting to the place, and I'm, I'm sorry this is the case, but they're getting to the place sometimes now where they won't see you until you're about half dead. <laughs> I'm old enough now, I've had a couple of things that have plagued me most of my life, and I kind of know myself, I know my body, and of course, they're not going to do anything about it until they know for sure, probably because they might get sued by somebody. They're probably protecting themselves. So Jesus knew what they were saying. He knew what they were thinking. And so he answers the question that they had asked of his disciples. He said, those who are whole do not need a physician, but they that are sick. And then he makes this statement, go and learn what that means. It's quoted in the Old Testament. Remember now, when these things happened, there, were, there, were, there wasn't any New Testament. There was no Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. This is Genesis through Malachi. He said, go and learn what that means. Go find that over there in the Old Testament where it says, I'll have mercy and not sacrifice. I, I am not going to bless those who are just offering sacrifices and not offering themselves, not, uh, not asking me for mercy. I am a God of mercy, but I show mercy upon those who are candidates of mercy. Not for those who bring sacrifices and think, okay, I'm through with that now. I've done what God requires. I've done everything He wants me to do. And so I've been to church. I've given an offering. I've said my little prayer. I've sung a couple of hymns. And I've been doing that for a number of years now. I think I'll be all right. No, He says, look, go and learn what that means that says, I don't want sacrifice. But I want those who need mercy. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. And he said, what does that mean, Jesus? He tells us what it means. I did not come to call the righteous. I came to call sinners to repentance. We must learn the truth that salvation is about sovereign mercy it is not about doing. It is not about being. By the way, this is a reference to Hosea chapter 6 and verse 6, if you're wondering. You can look it up. Another one of those minor prophets, you need to read his book. We studied the book of Hosea, verse by verse, years ago. But how does a person obtain an audience with Christ? That's a good question. How do you obtain an audience with Christ? Well, notice, he said, I have not come to call, call the righteous. Christ calls us. But how do sinners know he calls them? Jesus came to call sinners. Peter said, make your calling and election sure. We'll look at that maybe later. Make your calling and election. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, brethren, beloved, knowing your election of God. Peter says, make your calling and your election sure. If you read those Famous verses of Romans 8, 28 and following, you'll see that calling is right in the middle of all of it. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the 
called according to his purpose. So how do sinners know he calls them? Well, Jesus came to call sinners. Has he called you? Let me tell you how you can find sinners, how you can know men or sinners. They gather themselves to him. They call on him. That's what we have back in verse 10. As Jesus sat at meat in the house, many publican sinners called on him. They came and they sat down with him. They wanted to be around him. They wanted to learn from him. They wanted to learn about him. They wanted to hear about him. They wanted to be close to him. They knew that he alone could have mercy upon them. And they wanted to know him. So they associated themselves with him. They wanted to hear him. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn. The old King James has it a little awkward there. Learn of me means learn about me. Learn from me. I become your teacher. Learn of me. I become the person who teaches you. Sinners want to be taught by Christ. Sinners are convinced that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's the only one who can save us, that he is the mediator between God and man. There's one God and there's one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. That's what the Bible tells us. And so, my friends, I say to you, regardless of what you understand or don't understand about what God has done in eternity past, I want you to understand that in time, which is where we live, those who want Mercy from the Lord Jesus Christ may have it. Of all the sins that men commit, and we, if I pass around a sheet of paper right now and say, I want everybody to write down one bad sin that you know about, we're going to have a whole list of sins, anything you can think of. And I will show you someone in Scripture who was forgiven. But those who reject Christ, those who die in unbelief, will never be forgiven. The sin of unbelief is the only sin that will not be forgiven. I used to tell a story about a fellow who was under deep conviction and he came to his teacher and he said, Sir, I'm under t- tremendous conviction and I need to know the Lord. I want to know the Lord. Please have mercy. Help me, O Lord. Help me, sir, to know the Lord. And uh, he said, well, what would you like to say? Well, the man began to list all of his sins and all of the things he had done, confess all of these things. And he said, uh, his teacher said, is that all? He says, is that all? And he he listed some more and he said, is that all? He said, what do you mean, sir? I've named everything I know. He said, well, you hadn't mentioned unbelief. Unbelief is the damning sin. Unbelief, not calling upon the name of the Lord, not associating yourself with Christ. Come to Christ. Believe on Christ. Confess the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How shall they call on him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a witness, a preacher, a teacher, a friend, a neighbor, someone who witnesses to them? And how shall they witness to them except they be sent? That's all in Romans chapter 10. My dear friend, God, just like in Solomon Gomorrah, he crosses your path with the truth and he deals with your heart. You want to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Confess him. You're not saved by big faith. You're just saved through faith. It is not your faith that saves you. It is the object of your faith, Christ. Where is your faith? Is it in yourself? Is it in your righteousness? Is it in your doing? Is it in church membership? Is it in walking the aisle? Is it in even your baptism? Where is your faith? If your faith is in Christ, he is able to save. Trust in him, and I promise you, he will have mercy upon you. May the Lord add his blessings to his word. Let's stand together, and we'll sing our little song, Under the Blood of Jesus, safe in the shepherd's fold, under the blood of Jesus, safe while the ages roll, safe though the worlds may crumble. Safe though the stars grow dim under the blood of Jesus, I am secure in Him. Under the blood of Jesus, safe in the shepherd's fold. covenant make you perfect in every good work. May the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob shine upon your hearts and give you peace. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you. May the Lord assure you of his great salvation in his Messiah, our Lord Jesus Christ. May the Lord make you perfect in every good work, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whose name and for whose sake we pray. Amen. You're dismissed. Amen.